At the end of your life, what will be your legacy? What will you leave behind for future generations? For the world, join the world messenger, Isabella Lundberg, each week as she brings you a new distinguished guest from the business, sports, or entertainment world to share their success, their struggles, and their lessons. They will share their insights into current hot topics that affect everyone. Isabella facilitates an intimate, vulnerable environment to find the true value of humanity and real leadership. Are you ready for your legacy? The legacy that matters? Hello, hello, my friends. It's Isabella Lombicure, the world messenger, and I have a very special guest coming all the way from New York to join us at this episode of Legacy Leaders. His name is Stephen Sabo. He is a doctor of 25 years of experience in emergency room in New York. He's also focusing on very well, much on preventative health and wellness, and I cannot wait to have discover more about his phenomenal background. Stephen, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Isabella. Happy to be here today. Absolutely. It's, it's such a wonderful opportunity uh, to finally have a conversation with you, given what is going on in this epic 2020, right? Oh my gosh. I, I, I've never seen anything like it in, in my 26 years, and I, I, I hope I won't see anything like it again. It, uh, I think for all of us, 2020 has been a challenging year. Yes, and I can't even imagine how it's to be a doctor, specifically doctor in an emergency room, and on top of that, in New York. So if you don't mind, uh, obviously, you're a doctor with a passion and you love what you do, but do you mind depicting a little bit about what you experienced earlier this year and what is happening right now so the listeners and viewers can have a really clear understanding and, 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 and great point of view from your perspective? Sure. And, and I think what you say is, it's my perspective. I, I can't tell you what things were like uh, in, in different parts of the country or the world, but I can certainly give you a, a bird's eye view of what it was like and what it is like, what we're dealing with right now. Um, I, I live outside New York City. I live in Northern New Jersey, about 20 minutes outside New York City, and I'm on the border of New York State. So I practice in New York State. And we were going about our business, I guess, just like everybody else was, hearing about what happened in, in, in China and then in, in Italy. And now anybody really who thought that, well, if it's there, it's not gonna happen here. I mean, you know, especially with world travel was, you know, we're fooled. And so, you know, we didn't know what to expect. We were getting different messages at the beginning. We were even told by the CDC actually, not even to wear masks at the beginning. And I'm not gonna get into the benefits of that, but um, this is a disease that, you know, we've all seen, you know, the ramifications of it in many different ways, but let me just give you a, a, a snapshot. So I went to work on, on the 8th and I think we may have 8th of March of 2020. And I think that's when, right around when we had the first case and again, we really weren't being that careful back then. We didn't know what careful was. We were seeing some patients, people were going in and out of rooms, not wearing this PPE, the personal protective equipment and, and the masks. And, you know, of course we later learned that, you know, from our perspective in the hospitals and the ERs that, that it was really important. Um, I then came to find out that, that goggles were very important too, uh, to protect the eyes. 
And so I think it was around when they started closing at least the Northeast or maybe the country around St. Patrick's Day, the 17th, that I started going to work with, with the N95 mask, as well as the goggles that just seal my eyes in. And, and I have a protocol actually, when I go to work and when I leave and when I come, and I have not changed despite the cases coming down, I have not changed that protocol. I go into the building with the, with the mask on, I wear blue jeans and a t-shirt now. I don't, I don't dress like this, like I used to dress with regular clothes. Um, I wear sneakers. I get to work, I change into scrub suits like they do in the OR. And uh, I put those, as I said, those goggles on. And except for kind of a mass break when I go eat and when I go in the break room, I stay to the side, which is a good idea if you're working, you know, and you have to take the mask off to eat somewhere, at least keep some distance from people. And I leave that stuff on until the end of the day. I take my scrub suit off, I go home and I decontaminate. I, the clothes go right in the washing machine. I go right into the shower and my wife disinfects my phone, my eyeglasses and my wallet. Wow, that is unbelievable. So you do that every time when you go to work and it's just the consistent routine. And I'm sure that is a lot of time consuming as well, but uh, preventative health guys, this is how it looks like. Mm -hmm. So, um, <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. That is very powerful. And 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 we, what what do you recommend for us? I mean, I know the numbers are down, but then we're seeing insane increase of the cases right now throughout the whole country. And everybody's fearing okay. isn't you're gonna repeat it again with uh, with the same problems we're seeing earlier in this year, uh, as well as uh, you know other parts of the country. So if you don't mind reflecting on that and, and also precautions or what can we really now do? You know, it's a, it's a really, really good question. They, they, a lot of the experts, and by the way, there's no co consensus. You know, do you think there's no consensus among the, the leaders of this country? We'll leave it at that. There's no consensus among the doctors too. And I always say, Isabella, you get 10 doctors in the room, you get 11 opinions. I mean, wow. think about talking. Think about that. I mean, you know, doctors don't agree, but let me, in order to tell you kind of where we are now, let, let me just go back to April the 7th, which was the worst day I've ever experienced in my medical career. I went into work and um, we have about 20 beds in our emergency room. It's a suburban New York City emergency room. We have some inner city towns by us, some poor patients. We have some wealthier towns. So we have a mixture. Um, and, and so we, we see a fair amount of patients. Again, it's not a New York City emergency department. And, and at that time, they were certainly overwhelmed. But let me just give you a picture of that day and just tell you where we are now. And then we can talk about precautions. So I go to work. I do my 12-hour shift at 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. And it was so busy. The hospital was at its brims. Patients were, were being put in the physical therapy department because there was no place to put the beds. There were, at the end of my shift, there were, I think, 15 patients waiting for beds, which there were no beds. We actually transferred patients out to some of the community hospitals for admission. And the, 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 the worst thing, the thing was that these patients were so sick, these COVID patients, that I believe it was 
10 patients we put, we intubated, we put on respirators during my 12 hour shift between me and several of my colleagues. I mean, people were being brought in and you could see that they couldn't breathe and you just put them right on the respirator. And we were using so many respirators, we actually were running out of respirators. Now, I know the state of New York and states and, and, and the federal government, FEMA, was supplying respirators, but they hadn't all arrived yet. And I actually had to tell two families of patients that their loved one, their 80-something-year-old loved one, if they got worse, we were just going to make them comfortable. We would not be able to put them on a respirator because we only had a couple left in the building, the rationing of healthcare. And I never thought that in America that I would go through that. Um, turns out those people did not need that, but I did call them from the department. And also at this time, there were no visitors too. So you're having to get on the phone or walk out to the parking lot to tell people, you know, what happened with their, with their loved one, if you had time. So that was the worst of it. And, and since then, at least, again, I'm talking from my perspective here, things have gotten better. And I know in parts of the country that since then they've gotten much worse. Um, again, myself, I'm not seeing the increase anywhere near where we did back in April. We're not overwhelmed. We have COVID patients. We have some sick COVID patients. But for the most part, the patients that we're seeing, the COVID patients, are, are not that sick. They may need to be admitted, but they're not the intubated like we were just talking about patients. So um, whether things will get worse, I don't know. But I do know we have protocols now for treating these patients. And that's, that's really exciting. Vaccines are coming out. And that's exciting. I think you said, how can we protect ourselves was yes, your and question. The reason, reason why I was asking that uh, when you were mentioning, because you have a protocols and, and, and I wanted to see what are your recommendations for our protocols? And thank you for reflecting that not only politicians and leaders are not in alignment, but seeing also the doctors are not in alignment and hearing so many different opinions. Uh, as somebody as I trust and respect like yourself, uh, Dr. Sabo, I, I really would love to hear your perspective, what protocols you will recommend for us, regular American citizens or people around the world based on our knowledge that you have and experience with the COVID obviously. So. Well, the protocols I was talking about was medication protocols. Uh, are you talking about um, how we can best protect ourselves? Yes, because you were mentioning protocols. What do you do when you get in and out, how you change, how you sterilize things and et cetera. And a lot of people think it's either too compulsive if we go to grocery stores to do similar thing or whatever. Uh, some people are not even washing enough of hands or if they do, you know, alcohol sterilization and, and those types of uh, going in general public and coming home and, and, and what should we do in order to protect ourselves if we get exposed, you know, carrying on on our hands, what we can do so that we're not bringing that in our living environment. So I should say that the protocol that I've just described that I do when I go home is because I'm at high risk. Does everybody I work with do that? No, I don't think they do. And over the summer when rates were very low, I still did the same thing because I didn't want to bring it home to my wife and, and, and my family. Um, you know, people were getting sloppy. 
that, that, that I worked with about not wearing the mask and a lot of them didn't wear the goggles, but I figure it's still out there. Why should I, why should I take a risk? I, I don't want to bring it home to, to my family. So I'm not advocating that everybody do all of that. I think that when you go out, you, you need, I advocate wearing masks. I think that, that it's not going to hurt you. I think that, that there's a reason that we wear them in the hospital, that you wear them in, uh, in masks in, in the operating room. And it's because it protects not only yourself, but it protects the people you're with. I mean, when any patient comes in now, everybody is given a mask to put on. And uh, it's not, not as much for, you know, it's, it's, it goes, you know, goes both ways. It's not going to be a hundred percent. And again, when you're out in public and for example, you're at a restaurant, you know, you have to take, take your mask off to eat. But I would say that, um, that, uh, you know, my wife used to go to the grocery store uh, she still does, but she used to wash all the products down. You know, you may have seen the video by, by a doctor. And, and I talked to the infectious disease doctor about that. And she said, that's totally not necessary. Okay. You know, the washing of everything, certainly washing your hands, uh, keeping your distance with people as much as possible. Um, and, uh, and, and I believe, you know, wearing masks does help. That's, that's a really good to know. Thank you so much. As well, I'm seeing specifically increasing state of Colorado and uh, obviously this is where I'm at and, and, and seeing people that are getting more and more sick and uh, also hospitalized uh, as well as other parts of the country. Uh, and even with the ones that don't have necessarily high risks, you know, everybody obviously responds to virus in a different way. So it's really good to know what what is something that we should use it as our common practice daily, right? And then something that we also need to adjust if, again, high risk is there, so. And, and absolutely, diabetics, overweight people, asthma patients, people with respiratory problems, cancers, all these type of patients, be very careful. My parents are retired. They're, they live in a, in, a, in a retirement community in Florida you know, unfortunately, they really haven't seen anybody, you know, once a week, they go to the supermarket, the drugstore, and they stay home, and they're in a little development, they're able to walk outside, no common areas, and, and, you know, my father has a history of cancer, so my mother's very protective of him, and they just try to, try to stay safe. And that is an excellent point uh, about how it's also affecting elderly, but also with the holidays that are coming and Thanksgiving, for example, I'm seeing more and more people canceling family reunions and gatherings and get together specific if they're coming from different states. Um, what would be something from your perspective in terms of just even like holiday time, because people feel like, oh, this is my loved ones that feel safe around them, but yet the rest of that we're bringing something to them, like your parents in this case, in this scenario. Uh, what, what would be your personal and professional recommendation for people that are still weighing that out? How should they proceed? Yeah. I mean, you're at risk. I mean, if, if, if I was, let's say, to visit my parents, this is my opinion. I know that this, everything these days seems to be controversial, whether it's mask wearing or celebrating the holidays now, you're not going to get people to agree. I was invited to go to Florida to stay at a separate place for my parents, and you know I'd have to fly from here to to Florida, which which is which which is a risk. Uh, and 
you know, go down there and, you know, I'd probably want to quarantine for some time if I even had it before I came back. And, and you know, my parents have been doing a good job. I guess I could go and see them in the garage or something or outdoors. Do you know what I mean? Um, I, I wouldn't want to be in their house, uh, you know, uh, until I knew I was safe. I, you know, I caution people to be safe basically and to avoid the big gatherings. I, I, that I, I do agree with. I mean, they're, they're, you know, I read about a wedding in Long Island at in Long Island, New York that they had uh, against the law, uh, but uh, 38 people of the 110 guests ended up getting, getting COVID from that. And some who had underlying medical conditions. You know, I know people are gonna say, but listen, most of the people, you know, are either asymptomatic or they're young people, nothing's gonna happen to them. The problem I, I, I ask you or I ask people is what if you're the young one that, that gets it, you don't even know you have it, you go see your grandparents and one of them gets sick and, and, and maybe dies because they have an underlying medical condition. So unknowingly, you're actually putting them, putting them at risk. That's a, that's a very good point and, and again, very good advice and I wanted to listeners and viewers to hear directly from you because again, I've seen so many sources and so much out there. I always rely on experts and people that are in the field and, and, and for you being in a position and being an emergency doctor, seeing things every day, uh, I think guys, this is very sound advice for anybody still debating what you wish should do around even Thanksgiving or Christmas. So thank you, that, that is very helpful. Sure. If you don't mind, I wanna just to slightly shift the gears here for a second. Uh, obviously as emergency doctors, which I kudos you, you don't have no idea how much I appreciate you okay. and, and what you do. Uh, being a couple of times in emergency room myself, it's like, wow, it's such a high stressful job and, and, and insane dedication um, that I think that only few people can really master or do very well because it definitely affects you, right? So do you mind sharing a little bit with listeners and viewers, how did you even get into to be a doctor? What prompts you and definitely to decide to be emergency doctor? Sure. So I always wanted to be a doctor that my father I'm telling you about in Florida is a retired thoracic surgeon, actually. So mm -hmm. I remember, you know, living and we moved many times, but he did his residency at Kings County Hospital in Brooklyn, New York. And I, I remember you know, uh, I used to think of him with the long white coat, the scrub suits coming home and, and just, you know, really admiring him and, 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 and respecting him and looking up to him and, 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 and looking at his textbooks, of, you know, when I was a kid uh, of surgery and of, of, of the different textbooks he had with all the pictures in it and thinking, wow, I could do this. I, I, I want to do this. And, and, and I never looked back, whether it was high school or college, I, I, I knew I wanted to do it. I, I applied to medical school. I applied to like 35 or American medical schools and didn't get accepted to any of them and ended up going to school in France for three years. Wow, so you were so, studying in Europe? Oh, okay. I, I was, I was in Lille, France and the uh, instruction was all in French. And uh, my many years of French helped me. Of course, when you live in a foreign country, if you've never lived in a foreign country and don't speak the language much, you kind of forced to pick it up fairly quickly. Yeah. And I think you speak of several languages, is that right? Yes, I do. You do. 
So, uh, and it's funny, I get to speak, uh, practice my French. We have a lot of patients who speak Creole uh, uh, from Haiti and a lot of them actually speak French now. So uh, those who do, I, I get to practice that. So three years in, in, in France in medical school and then finished in Chicago. I went to Chicago Medical School and finished there. And then again, I always thought I wanted to be a surgeon just because my father was a surgeon. I said, yeah. I called him up one day, I was in medical school in Chicago and I said, dad, can you go into surgery and like surgery if you don't like being in the operating room and don't like operating? I mean, I think I answered my own question. You're smiling, but yeah. Uh, you know, I, I just thought it was always what I wanted to do. And you know what? And, and listen, I, it's my father gave me a great answer. He never told me what he wanted me to be. My mother never said that either. You decide what you want to be, you'll figure it out. He said, all I could, I can't talk for you, but what I would say is my favorite part of the day is being in the operating room and operating, which was a great answer. He never told me what to do, but he just told me from his perspective. And that's when I realized it's not what I wanted to do. And then I did residencies in, in New York City in internal and emergency medicine and realized I like being in the emergency department. And I'll, I'll tell you what I like about that is one of the things is you don't know what's coming in and that would frighten a lot of people as opposed to looking at your schedule down on the schedule and seeing Mrs. Smith, Mr. Jones, oh, I know what they're here for, but you just never know. And you never know whether it's gonna be a stub toe or a, a cardiac arrest. And so it's not for everybody. Um, but I also, the other thing I like is the regular hours. Now you say regular hours, but that means half the holidays, you, you know, a bunch of nights, overnight shifts, um, as well as, you know, the popular 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. shifts. But what's nice about that is you know when you're there and you know when you're not. And it's interesting, I, I, I've always been a big sports fan for the New York sports teams. And um, I used to have season tickets until recently to a lot of the teams and people think I chose this profession so I could go to my sporting events that I had, <laughs> but it's not, it's not really true. Um, so that's kind of how I ended up in emergency medicine. That's fantastic. And obviously for dedication of 26 years, uh, you, you, you obviously like it and, and, and uh, that continued. It's obviously found passion and desire to help people when they need it the most, when it's a lot of times life in that situation, right? Yeah, it is. It and is. Do you mind sharing just some stories and highlights? What, how could be also very rewarding, but in the same time, some, some pros and cons and, and things that you're actually doing now that, that you're trying to work towards preventative aspects of the health. Sure. Well, one thing, just going back to your, your last question again, that's important as an emergency doctor, since you don't really have a schedule, is multitasking. And I know there's a lot of professions out there that, that you do multitasking, but I'm just thinking of recently, you know, having two critical situations at the same time, it's balancing both. Or, and it's the teamwork aspect as well. I mean, if you think about teamwork, I mean, a cardiac arrest, you know, when somebody's brought into the room and they're, you know, compressions are being done, everyone needs to know their role, just like in, in, in any business. You know, somebody needs to go
go to the head of the bed and take control of the situation. Somebody needs to go, or that's by the feet. Somebody needs to go to the head, manage the airway. Somebody has to do the compression. Somebody has to use the paddles if you need to. It's a, it's a whole team effort. And that's what I, that's what one of the things that I really enjoy about it is, 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 is really part of a team. Um, but, but the multitasking does take a lot of getting used to, especially when you have a line of people waiting to tell you about something, show you an EKG, and you, you're thinking about the two critical patients that are going on in the department at the same time. And, and you need to multitask and you need to prioritize. A lot of, a lot of key factors there. That is very special, uh, special skill, even though they keep saying multitasking is overrated, but a lot of uh, special, specialized professions like yours require that. And you have to think very quickly and think on your feet. And it's not for everyone. So when people master that where they have mm -hmm. that, it's extremely valuable because you have so many moving parts at any given second, right? Sure, absolutely. And one thing I've, I've learned in 26 years, and, and you alluded to it a little bit about, you know, wellness, is that, you know, as an emergency doctor, as a doctor, you know, we're taught how to treat the sick. And that's the, the basis of it all. And that's fine. And listen, you come in and you need an antibiotic because you have a urinary tract infection. And, you know, we treat that and you, you feel better. But um, one of the things, at least, 26 years ago when I was in medical school that, or actually longer than that because of the residencies over 30 years ago, that they didn't teach anything about health and nutrition and wellness and prevention, stuff that people talk about nowadays. And, and listen, a lot of people just don't want to take medications. I think, so, I think you have to balance that. Sometimes you need to take medications and sometimes where it's iffy, maybe there's other things that you can do and I think prevention is, is really key. You know, I saw recently a, um, a cartoon and it had two lines. I don't know if you've seen this, you're smiling. It's a cartoon and it had two lines and one said medications and the other said lifestyle change. And you can guess which line everyone was in, medications, because a lot of people just want a quick fix. Your cholesterol is high, let's give you a medication, which. I took for 10 years until I decided, wait a minute, let me, let me go on a low cholesterol diet and try to get it, you know, health, nutrition, weight loss, a lot of these type of things. So what I'm saying is I believe now that there are a lot of things that we can do, whether it's diet, with exercise, nutrition, with supplementation to help make people healthier and prevent them from having to see me in the in the ER. That is excellent point. And I know you touched that you did a little bit of studying in Europe, but me being European transplant in US, I grew up with that mindset. And my mom was um, head nurse. Um, she was also had family doctors. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and I remember growing up and having access to do, you know, doctors or whatnot. From preventative standpoint, that's what I used to, and I had to completely adjust when I immigrated to the U.S. years ago. And um, I'm glad to hear that it's more preventative aspects in in treatment of patients coming uh, to the light, specifically with COVID, because uh, we're now seeing people that have a healthier lifestyle, healthier diet, that are more uh, paying attention to that. They 
have a much stronger resistance to, and with more antibodies and um, and likelihood of them, even if they get sick, to be very sick, it's much smaller. So uh, I hope this is also a wake-up call in, in many ways. So what, what trends do you see and how is that shifting, not only what you're already doing, but on, on the larger scale? Um, sure. One other thing, you, you talked about your parents stressing nutrition and I, I think like a holistic Yes. Type of lifestyle. And it's interesting. Uh, again, we'll go back to my father who believed that vitamins were not worth anything and, and still to this day won't even take a vitamin. I, I have a business with health and nutrition and products and supplements, and he won't even take a look at it actually. And my brother is a neurosurgeon. He also won't even take a look at it, doesn't believe in it, even though I would say that there is a lot of supplementation out there that have clinical studies, which is always what doctors want. Oh, you know, you got to prove it. Well, there's a lot of clinical studies on a lot of this stuff that shows that that this stuff can really work in many different ways. I'm sorry, your, your question there, uh, I got sidetracked. It's okay. I am glad you're highlighting that because I, I can see that from old top school, which nutrition's were like natural food and products were not as contaminated and and i feel like uh was much more nutrition much more organic growth i remember even stuff from you know eating from the my grandfather's apple tree or pear you know just grabbing in eating fresh uh, without even worry about do i need to wash it you know because there was no pesticides there was nothing it was a beautiful nature and and seeing how things shifted and changed and how much more pollution and uh, more more chemicals infused products. Uh, so I can see how in the past and things were enough just by paying attention and having sensible diet, uh, Mediterranean diet that I grew up on actually, but then how much all that shifted over the years and, and, and how like deficiencies of vitamin D all of a sudden everybody's deficient in vitamin D and all of a sudden we need to pay attention on X, Y, and Z. So I, I just want to say um, that things change also from last 20, 30, 40 years, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Even going back, um, I, uh, about 1950s, I was reading, if you took uh, the, the vitamins in an orange, for example, and you wanted those same nutrients from today, you'd have to eat like 50 oranges. I mean, think about that. So I'm, I'm totally with you. The topsoil is depleted, uh, the, uh, the chemicals, the fertilizers. And, and even with, I mean, I advocate organic, you know, cause it's healthier and it's, you eliminate a lot of that stuff and you're nodding your head. So I, I, I think we're, we're in agreement here. But I don't think that you still get enough nutrition, and and it's been shown out in studies that that uh, fruits and vegetables, for example, you just don't get um, as much nutrition as you did 30, 40, 50 years ago. And with that in mind, seeing when you're focusing now more on preventative health and seeing so many patients come in emergency rooms, some things that could be prevented, do you mind sharing what do you see? What where is the biggest opportunity for listeners and viewers to actually change and adjust uh, their, their behavior or their 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 what they're doing uh, that could really help them out and not ending up in emergency room? Sure. I mean, simple things like we said, health, nutrition, exercise. I mean. You know, exercise, you certainly, certainly, uh, especially if you have medical problems, before you start any exercise program, speak with your doctor. 
but uh, you know, even going for a walk around the block, if you can do that, or, or if you can't do that because of COVID and, you know, you're constricted, you know, just moving, moving around in the, you know, in your apartment or, or what have you uh, is better than just sitting at home and on the couch watching television all day, certainly. So activity, what you eat, watch what you, you eat. And, you know, people look at, at diet and nutrition in, in, in different ways. Um, my wife and I went to a nutritionist uh, over a year ago um, as I learned more about this. And he says to us, at least, don't look at the calories, look at what you're putting, specifically what you're putting in your mouth and the nutrition value of what you're putting in your mouth. Now, again, everybody has different ways of looking at it. I happen to think if you talk about a diet, it's temporary. And if you talk about a lifestyle change, it's more permanent. And you can have a lifestyle change but eat other foods that aren't in that lifestyle as opposed to saying you're cheating on your diet. It, it, it's really what works for you. My wife and I went gluten-free, sugar-free, dairy-free over a year ago. We each lost weight at the beginning and we were very strict. And now we're pretty strict with the gluten-free and, and as much as we can with the dairy-free and, and the sugar-free. Again, it fits us if you're not ready to make those changes in your lifestyle then it's probably not for you. So my advice is, is, is try to eat better, try to get more exercise. Excellent advice. And specifically, as you pointed out, it's a very challenging for a lot of people to get that movement or activity or exercise specifically if they're in the city and a lot of restrictions are imposed. Uh, but one of the things I'm also seeing, and I just spoke with a couple of groups around the mental health issues and, and things that are happening in a working environment. So do you mind touching a little bit on that? Because uh, I feel like um, very few are giving concrete examples or, 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 or at least identifying right symptoms so that people can address them. Because I also feel like mental health is absolutely um, increasing with so many challenges for so many people. Um, so is your question, how can we improve our mental health with, with what we're talking about or? Yes, or any tips that you can also specifically address around issues with the mental health and increased problems around the mental health, in addition to obviously to overall physical and overall well-being. Well, mental health has certainly gotten worse with the whole COVID situation and people being confined indoors and depression and complications of that have, have certainly gone up when people feel isolated as much as possible. Um, I think that social interactions with people, even if it's like we're doing on a Zoom call, you can't get together with my parents. We call them, we have dinner, we call my parents. We do a, a, a FaceTime call with them almost every day and, and they cannot tell us how much they appreciate that interaction because they're in Florida and they're not interacting with anybody except the grocery person at the grocery store, but that's not you know anybody you know. So I would say keep up with the interactions and do it safely. You know, if you're at work, you're with your coworkers, you know, wear your masks. And if you're in a break room eating lunch and you've got to, you know, take the mask off, don't sit right next to the person because you don't know, you know, if they've been exposed or not. 
keep your distance. When I sit in the break room, I make sure, first of all, I make sure there's not a lot of people in the break room. If there is, I take my break at a different time, if I can. And I sit at the opposite side of the room. I can still talk to them and nobody's getting offended with what's going on. So social interaction and listen, eating healthier, that, that's good for your psyche as well. I mean, you, you look at gluten and if it's your thing and you wanna try gluten-free, I think it's very healthy. When I went gluten-free, I felt like a cloud was just lifted off my head. I find that I think better when I don't have the gluten. When you eat, you know, I used to eat a big carbohydrate lunch. I bring a bowl of spaghetti for lunch, you know, to the hospital years ago. And I'd eat that. And then after lunch, I'm just wondering why I couldn't keep my eyes open. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. Oh, yes. <laughs> and, and, and if you, you, you realize that, you know, I changed. I, I used to think like salads, poo-poo <laughs> with the salads. And I eat salads all the time now for lunch. It's, it's, it's healthier. And it clears my head up and it gets my mood better. So I, I think all of those things are, are good. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you for reflecting on again, as, as, as the need is getting increasingly higher, I feel like it's very important to also think about that as well. And, and I love uh, interaction on Zoom because we're not wearing masks and I can see your smile and I can have an eye contact. And that is very, very difficult uh, also because a lot of times people are having sunglasses or glasses and, and it's just like very hard to have that eye contact and see somebody smile and, and, and just have a natural conversation as we used to. So. And I mean, it brings the world closer together. My, Absolutely. I don't know if I told you, my, my wife grew up in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Wow. And, and with it used to be Skype and now Zoom and FaceTime. And she's able to talk to her best friend down there, just like I'm talking to you or I talk to the woman across the street or, or, or what have you. That is very powerful. Yes. Connection with people that we care around the world and taking down those barriers. But in the same time, um, connecting with people that we really love and respect and wanted to uh, feel good about it, right? Having those positive conversations, it makes mm -hmm. so much difference, absolutely. Yes. So um, anything else that you'd like to share? I mean, you, you have such a plethora of experiences here and I wanna make sure that we don't miss anything that you think would be very powerful for listeners and viewers at this time moving forward beyond holidays with this winter situation and the next year uh, around the COVID and restrictions, uh, anything that you can share will be tremendously helpful. Sure, sure. Listen, I, I, I think we all can get healthier in various ways and, it, and, and it's not just, and, and I prescribe medications all the time um, but, you know, these days um, we can become healthier, as I said, through diet and nutrition and, and exercise. I also believe in, uh, you know, something that I, I never believed in before, alternative treatments, meaning supplementation. I take a lot of supplements and it's very funny because my wife used to say, I couldn't even get Steve to take vitamin C five years ago. And I line up the 10 pills in the morning you know, and, and the liquid vitamin D, by the way, you know, uh, when, when I start my morning. And there are devices out there that can help various ailments. There's supplements that can help various ailments. 
I happen to be suffering right now from, from, from back pain. And I've tried some different supplements and devices. And I, I, you know what? One thing I'd say is I've become open to a lot of things. Skeptical as a doctor, um, as, as I should be, because you can't believe everything out there. Absolutely. But when you hear people getting better with certain supplements, medications, or, or devices, you listen. And I, I'm going to try a new device tomorrow in hopes that it's going to help my back pain. My friend is going to introduce me to somebody who has this device. So, you know, I would say keep your mind open, okay? Um, you know, you, you don't want to believe everything out there that you hear. That certainly with what's going on these days, this is going to cure this. That's going to cure this. Um, but uh, try to stay healthy. Try to, um, you know, get outside, go for a little walk. And I know in the Northeast and parts of the country starting to get very cold. So that it's not going to be that easy to do uh, with the cold temperatures. And you have the same issue in Denver there. Um, but uh, stay healthy, try to prevent certain things and prevent seeing me as a patient in the ER is what I would say. <laughs> that is fantastic. Um, thank you. Uh, question now on the personal level, I know you've been traveling a lot and been very dedicated on, on many things besides passion for sports and going to sporting events. What is left on your bucket list still to do? Uh, well, I know we cannot travel now, but what would be some things on the bucket list that you still want to make it happen? Well, travel is one of the things. I um, am on the scientific advisory board of my nutritional products company. So I do get to give talks. I enjoy teaching, whether it's the medical students at the hospital or whether it's people about the health and nutrition and, and, and products. And, and one of my plans with my business is that when it takes off, I plan on traveling the world, actually teaching people about this. This is one of my dreams, one of my goals. It's on, I write gold cards every day, twice a day. Wow. I read them twice a day. And uh, my mentor has me doing that. And it's, you know, it's starting to seep in. And one of them is, is actually, you know, traveling the world. And, uh, visiting some of my favorite places at the same time with, with, with my wife. And I'm very excited about that. So that is exciting. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned uh, having your goals and writing them down and revisiting with them because they will become much more real. And, and then you will figure out ways how to accomplish them and how to make them happen. And I truly hope that Croatia is on your list among those countries you want to visit because I hear it's beautiful there. You are for a treat. Yes, it is. Of course, I'm very biased, but I have to uh -huh. say <laughs> it, it is phenomenal country. Uh, and in closing, do you mind sharing what would you like to be your legacy? I know you had very fulfilled life and uh, did so much for so many people and you're now still thinking how to give back and travel the world and teach uh, around the best practices around health and wellness. But uh, what else is there that you feel like you still wanted to make it happen and, and wanted to be proud of that legacy? Um, you know, I, I guess it would be what, what I always teach, you know, my kids. I tell them, and, and there's, you know, whatever you believe in, respect the other person's opinion. <clears throat> I think that with everything going on, whether it's masks or I'm not even going to get into it these days, 
if, if you know, I, I tell my kids before you talk to somebody, think of it from, and I, I think they say this in, um, in the book, which I'm blocking on right now, uh, that I have over here. Anyway, uh, Carnegie's book, Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. He says, always look at it from the other person's point of view. So I tell my girls, I say, if you're having a discussion and a disagreement, always put yourself in the person's shoes and look at it from their point of view and always respect the other person's opinion. It's not about one being wrong and one being right. It's about respecting other people's opinions. So I guess what I'd like my legacy was that I not only help people with health and wealth in, in many ways, but that, that I've taught this as my, you know, my goal with my family and, and my kids that they can, whatever their opinion is, and certainly they have different opinions from me and I totally respect that, but respect other people's opinions and always look at things from the other person's point of view. I think this world would be a better place if we all lived by that. That is so powerful and beautiful. I, I feel like you were spot on with what we've seen right now, tons of diversity and, and tons of different upbringing and traditions and belief systems. And that also helps to create a trust and be shared specifically when you have a doctor-patient relationship, but in general in business too, because everybody has the value and something to contribute. And if we're not allowing and having a positive exchange, we miss out. And Absolutely. we really solve the problem holistically. We, we solve partially and, and things could be way, way much better. So that is very, very powerful. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Um, it was absolute pleasure to have you on today's show and thank you for sharing. And we're looking forward to see your ongoing progress and we'll circle definitely back in a in, in few months down the road to see what is happening. But having again, this point of view specific with current events and a lot of anxiety and stressors, I think that listeners and viewers found a lot of benefits for sure I did. So thank you again for finding time to be with us today. You're welcome, Isabella. Absolute pleasure. Thank you.